0: I'm Kate Northrup.
1: And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business.
0: Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Kate and Mike show. I am
0: Mike and I'm Kate and we are as usual talking love life and business today we have a really special interview with a good friend of ours Marie Forleo. Marie and I met many years ago I think it was in 2008. I had seen her speak at Mama Gina's School of Womanly Arts and at the time she had a brand called rich happy and hot and I thought she was hilarious. She spoke at Networking night and was talking to us about pussy business. And I was like, this girl's awesome. She taught us all how to booty shake. And she was just really fun and wise. And so the throngs of women approached her afterwards and not wanting to be a fangirl myself. I just kind of, you know, grabbed her business card and set the intention that our paths would cross, you know, when the time was right. And wouldn't you know it, a couple weeks later, I was standing in yoga class at Yoga Shanti in Sag Harbor, New York, and I was in warrior 2 right across the aisle from Marie and her fiance, Josh. And so I got to introduce myself afterwards and we ended up, I was spending a couple weeks out there and we ended up just going to the beach all the time and playing paddle ball and just getting down and dirty about online marketing and psychology. And as Josh calls them, grow yourself books, which are the whole personal growth industry, spirituality, and we just had a ball. And so that's how I got to know Marie and Josh. And that was I think that was the year or the year before B-School was even a thing. And Marie has built a multiple seven-figure empire, online empire, teaching people how to build sustainable online businesses using modern, elegant marketing techniques. And she's brilliant at it. And so much of what Mike and I do in our business is because of what we've learned and from Marie. And... Oh, do you want to say something else, honey?
1: Uh, This episode, we just talked about her journey with business, kind of what she's done from the time she started, like 2008. Is that when she said she started? No, Marie started in the late 90s. Oh yeah, in the late 90s when she started, but then that was not online or it was just when the internet was like dial-up B-School started in 2009, I believe. Right. So the journey with B-School, her journey as being a new entrepreneur, and then even advice. She gave some great advice for folks that have a business and then also just new into a business or if you're thinking about doing a business. And then also she talked about what she wants her funeral to be like, which I thought was pretty entertaining.
0: Yeah, Marie is funny. If you watch Marie TV, you will find that she is funny. There's a phrase that you'll want to listen for in this episode that I think is possibly going to become part of the modern lexicon. I had never heard it before. It's hysterical. I couldn't stop giggling. So listen up for that phrase. You know, Marie used to be an elite dance athlete with Nike. She was a producer with MTV. She worked on the Stock Exchange on Wall Street. She worked at... A bunch of Condé Nast magazines, and she was one of the people who kind of took the life coaching industry by storm in the late '90s when it was really just like a baby industry. Marie has been interviewed and hangs out with Richard Branson, with Anthony Robbins. She's been on Super Soul Sunday, and she's one of the Super Soul 100 with Oprah. She's a dear friend. She's amazing. She's a Jersey girl. She's wildly successful. She has a huge heart, and I think you're going to really love this episode. Enjoy. All right. Hey Marie. What's up Kay? What's up Mike? Hello Marie. We're so happy to have you. This is so fun guys. It's been a while in person but it's always so good to connect. So I was just thinking about you this morning as I was preparing for our chat and I was thinking about you know your background and like you were a Nike elite athlete and you were a producer and you were a choreographer and you were a fitness video person and like worked on wall street and magazines. And now you run a multi million dollar online empire. And I'm curious, you know, with your amazing past and everything that you do now, because I would also say, you know, you're definitely a world changer activist. Like when you're meeting somebody at a cocktail party, I don't know if you go to cocktail parties often with people you don't know, but if you were, what do you say when somebody asks you what you do?
2: Oh, my goodness. This is one of those questions that I never answer the same way. And I'm probably the worst, like out of all of the people who train others so efficiently and effectively to have their elevator pitch statement down, which again, in theory is really useful and really smart. Dude, I fail on this big time. I make up something new every single time. And I was thinking about maybe like two weeks ago, I was in Santa Barbara and I was doing some business meetings and my director of operations and I were going out to dinner and we were heading home and we were taking the kind of hotel complimentary shuttle service that will come and pick you up and take you back to the hotel. And the young man driving was really lovely and sweet. And, you know, my director of operations, and I were chatting in the backseat. He's like, so, you know, what do you ladies do? Are you here on business? And we're like, yeah, you know, we're here on business. We're definitely doing business, but we're having some fun. He's like, oh, what do you all do? And I just remember in that moment, I was like, here's one of those chances. <laughs> like, I said, do you want your life to be absolutely amazing? And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, well, that's what I do. I teach people to have a life so damn good they can't even stand themselves. And I've never said that particular <laughs> verse before. And he started laughing. He's like, oh my God, I need to know you. Tell me more. How does all this happen? And it just it was such a fun, flowing conversation because he's like, I love your energy. I love this. This is great. Give me your website. I can't wait to start watching. But I'll tell you, Kate, I've never said that particular line before. And I'm sure I didn't even say it right now the exact same way I said it in that little shuttle van, but the essence is the same. So I always describe it differently. And I do my best to not only be honest and authentic with kind of the energy where I'm at in the moment, but also respectful and understanding the context of the person who I'm speaking with to see if perhaps, you know, if they might have any Either interest or if it's more I don't know talking about something I've done in the past I just use my intuition to guide me but again from a standard answer from what everyone else tells you to do I'm horrible
0: I love that answer, Marie, because I, this is something like, I don't, I definitely do not spend a lot of time and energy on this. You taught me a great phrase, which is a creative cul-de-sac. I feel that this is a bit of a creative cul-de-sac, but I never say the same thing ever either. If I'm with somebody and I don't feel like talking to them and they ask me what I do, I tell them I sell vitamins, which is like (laughs) (laughs) such an infinitesimal part of what we do. Um, You haven't used
1: that in a while. No,
0: I haven't. But that's like, if I'm feeling really lazy and introverted and then I'm curious, just as a follow-up question, like, do you talk to people on airplanes?
2: Oh yeah, you I do. You do? You know, not all the time. There are some times when I am so kind of in my little cocoon of deadlines and I have to get right. things done. Definitely always cordial, definitely depending on the position of, you know, if I'm sitting on the inside or the outside and trying to facilitate getting the peanuts or the drinks and, you know, making sure everybody's cool and nobody's spilling their drinks on the laptop, I am definitely in that zone of being engaged in that sense. But sometimes it just depends. It depends on the person's energy and vibe and also what I have to get done. But I love talking to Uber drivers and, you know, the airplane, like the flight attendants and whoever's around. If there's like friendly, open energy and we're having some laughs, you know, yesterday I was on a a plane and 90% of the plane was having a connecting flight and our particular flight was pretty late. So everyone on the plane had to connect somewhere and we all had like three minutes to do it. Mm. So it was kind of fun. Me like kind of barking out like, all right, let's help her out. Get that luggage down, like get it all moving. (laughs) And just being able to engage people in a way that is not angry, but more energetic and gets everyone working together.
0: I love that. That's awesome. That's really funny.
1: (laughs) That is. (laughs) Yeah. I actually uh, hired a copywriter to tell me, what I actually do. So when people ask me that question, I have an answer now. What's your answer? But right I don't now? have it memorized yet. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right. So that's step two. Not only pay someone to tell you what you Actually, the know answer. What it is. <laughs> I, I,
1: I mean, I have it here in front of me, actually. I looked it Read up it. while we were talking. Oh, what oh, is it? Okay. So this is a lo- it's longer, but I want short, to shorten it up. But this is what you came up with. I lead business owners who want to get shit done So their lives are easier, more prosperous And more purposeful My wife and I build a thriving multiple six figure international health and wellness business Which nearly runs itself now I show entrepreneurs the secret sauce for their business To growing via working smart And doing less Nice. So I'm going to shorten that up
2: Yes you should And I will tell you this Just my own opinion, you could take it or leave it Not only would I shorten that up But I would like, if I were you I would mic it up say, Hey, my wife and I do this, you know, anybody and like have a question that kind of leaves a little bit open for your person that you're talking with to get curious about something. You know what I mean? And I'm assuming like that what you just read was maybe like three or four different versions of it. She wasn't expecting you to do all that. Right.
1: No, that was, we went back and forth. It was a long story there, but yeah, we basically went back and forth. And I just know like reading that right now, I'm like, that sounds so professional. That doesn't sound like
0: it's good in writing, but if you were actually with somebody, I love Marie that you engaged your your shuttle driver with like, do you want your life to be like incredibly amazing? Because if they're the right kind of energy person, like if they're a vibrational match for you, they're going to be like, hell yes. And if they're just kind of like, wah, wah, they're just going to think that's a silly question and and the conversation isn't going to go anywhere. So it's a great, it's kind of like a great casting the net to see if you get a bite from the right kind of person. And then you can know, okay, am I going to go further in this conversation or is this not going to really go anywhere?
1: Yeah. It's like when I was studying, you know, it's like dating. You know, yeah. I can't go up to, like, if I just read that to you and be like, hi, I'm Mike Watts and I help <laughs> entrepreneurs And this, would you like to go out with me? And the no. answer would be like, no, <laughs> you know, so I got to do the, bring the cocky funny from David D'Angelo into the, into the business oh,
2: world. Oh, taking it way back.
0: Way, going way back. <laughs> if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be with Kate. That's for sure. That is true. Mike did study his little Evan Pagan before catching me. <laughs> So it worked. Thank you, Evan. So for those of you who are not familiar... No,
1: David... Like well, David.
0: excuse me, David yeah. D'Angelo is a dating expert from back <laughs> in the day, but you it's, followed his stuff. Yeah, I, his stuff is still around. It yeah. is stuff. Yeah, totally. Yep. Anyway, so Marie, now like you did all this stuff in your past and I know that you still like shake it and dance and do all these different <laughs> things and you're passionate about your, your dog Kuma and all this stuff, but you are one of the most focused people I know. And you are really good at knowing what's going to be a great use of your time and what's going to. be a great investment in your time and what's not. So given that you're really enthusiastic and that you love people, how do you manage to stay focused while also being enthusiastic and not like shutting that part of yourself down?
2: Absolutely. There's really two pieces to that puzzle. One is external and one is internal. So the external piece is something that I think a lot of folks... Either haven't done yet they haven't spent the time to really get clear on or they're just unaware that they need it and what that is is really a vision for you know if we're talking about the business context for where you want your business to go in the next 12, perhaps 24, perhaps 36 months, whatever time frame feels really appropriate for where you're at in your business journey or, you know, kind of where you're leaning into. For some of us, longer term feels a little better because we can kind of see that longer horizon and then reverse engineer from there. And some of us, when we're just getting started, thinking three years ahead in the future just almost feels impossible. But, you know, six months or 12 months, that feels really doable. But I find that a lot of people don't have a clear, concise, compelling, inspiring vision that they're working towards. So there's no litmus test. They just can get distracted by any shiny object, any opportunity, and they have no way to discern what to say yes to or what to say no to because they're not clear on where they're going. You know, I think it's that kind of classic phrase or idea from Alice in Wonderland, right? Well, it doesn't matter where you go or it doesn't matter what path you take if you don't know where you're going. And I'm kind of bastardizing that quote a little bit, but I think you guys know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the external bit that helps to keep me focused because along with myself, who can be very ADD-ish, I also have to manage a team right. <laughs> and get the whole team working in the right direction. And also when it comes to my relationship with Josh, my beloved, you know, he's not technically my husband, but he pretty much is. Cause don't have 14 years wow. of us being together. So, you know, it's important for him to understand what's happening for me professionally and creatively so that he's in alignment with it. And we can also talk about things and it's really fun. That's the external piece. And then the internal piece really has for me to do a lot with intuition. It has to do a lot with, you know, inevitably there are opportunities that pop up that of course are not in our little vision and in our plan. You can't predict them. They come out of nowhere. And I have just trained myself at this point from the time I was little all the way up until now to really quickly evaluate a situation. And for me, it's really simple. If it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. And it's a pretty rare thing, those hell yeses. That's got to be a full, complete body, being, cell, mind, heart, ass shaking thing where you're like, yes, you know, every bit of you is like, I must do this. I'm going to move the earth and I'm going to spend the money or I'm going to, you know, rearrange my schedule or whatever it takes to make that particular opportunity happen, to engage with it, whatever the context is. But if I don't have all those bits firing, I have learned my lessons the hard way for making mistakes that I must say no and I must pass up.
0: Can you tell a story about one of those things? It might be recent, might've been a long time ago when you were like a half yes and you said yes and then you were like, shit, (laughs) I'd love to hear a story about that.
2: A hundred percent. So I think we're all particularly vulnerable to saying yes to things and it does make sense. It makes perfect sense when we are starting out when we're starting out in a new endeavor, because that's the stage where you kind of want to say yes to a lot of things because you're trying to gain exposure, you're building relationships, you're trying to build experience. You know, you got to get traction and get out there. And I remember early on in my coaching career, so I'm life coaching and I was just starting to, you know, create a network of people and learn about other folks who are doing great things. And there was this successful businessman who was really well connected with not only folks that I admired in the business world, but people who I'd never met. And I was very intrigued with who he was as a human being. And we had developed this relationship just from going to different conferences. And he's like, Hey, we should develop a coaching program together. I have the connections. I would be able to expose you to a whole group of business people who I think you'd really be able to impact your voice is fresh and new. And of course there was the possibility for some pretty big financial gains. So again, all those things on paper is like well, of course, like I'm going to say, yes, that sounds awesome. And I remember saying yes to it, but having some reservations and it wasn't about him. He was fabulous. It wasn't about his integrity. All of that was in alignment, but it was just something I couldn't quite articulate. It was perhaps a little bit of an inner contraction or a little bit of an inner no, or a little bit of like, nah, it's just not the right thing for me. And I will tell you guys, Kate and Mike, oh my goodness. I think I... Invested anywhere from like six to 10 months, you know, phone calls every week, spending hours and hours working on curriculum, like just going through all of the motions trying to push this project ahead before I was finally able to say to myself, you know what? I do not want to do this. This guy's fine. He's great, but this is just like, it's not the right thing for me. And I remember feeling scared because he was, you know, several years older. I perceived him to have a lot more credibility. I perceived that he was investing in me was spending all of this time, you know, helping to quote unquote, like kind of bring me up. And I honestly felt like I was being an asshole <laughs> saying no. And like, just being like, Oh my gosh, am I going to ruin my reputation? And is he going to think I'm a flake? Am I being totally unprofessional? Like there were, am I being dumb, you know, from a business perspective, am I turning down what really is a legitimate opportunity to make money and make a difference? But I couldn't shake the feeling that this wasn't right. And I just remember the moment that I found the courage and was able to articulate to him very truthfully that I needed to opt out of this. I felt like the weight of goodness, like a hundred pounds, a hundred tons even were lifted off of my shoulders. And it was like the clouds parted and the sun was shining again. And I wanted to skip around New York city, <laughs> throwing daisies at people. Cause I felt so free. I was like, free at last, free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. That's how it felt. And so I don't know if that's a story that kind of illustrates it, but I learned my lesson and, you know, I I made minor mistakes after that, but that was one that really taught me to pay attention at the onset before I say yes to something.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine you've just, you know, you've honed that obviously over the years, right? Cause we make those mistakes and we'll continue to, I find in my own life, at least like it's an upward spiral. So yes. I'll keep making, <laughs> making some mistakes, but like they're smaller and they're a higher level of mistake, you know, if that makes sense. And so it's like, I don't think we ever kind of finally learn the lesson, but we're just revisiting it and not doing it quite as and badly. And then you recover the faster. Time. You do recover faster. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And was in that situation, like, You don't have to tell me if you don't want to, but was he gracious? Like how, cause I feel like the biggest fear is what if I say no, or if I decommit that, you know, somehow the world is going to come crashing down.
2: Absolutely. I mean, he definitely, I think was disappointed and he was surprised and he was shocked, but I really work very, very hard to do my best to be as honest and compassionate and forthright as possible. And I really shared that with him. I said, I could imagine how disappointing this might be or, or shocking. I value your time. I respect who you are. And just really laid out my heart in as vulnerable of, as a way as I could to do my best to get him to understand that this was not personal to him and to hopefully salvage a connection, a relationship. And he was actually, he was quite gracious. And we completely retained a friendship over time.
0: I love that. That's great. Yeah. Always so beautiful to hear stories like that. And I think you're right. The more compassionate we are, the more honest we are, the better in those situations. Yeah, Yeah. It's
2: like not making up excuses like, oh, you know, something else came up. It's like, (laughs) once you start going down the little white lie, you get yourself in trouble. When you say, look, I think I made a mistake here. I think this is not my heart's not in it. Or again, whatever is true for you to be able to articulate that truth in a way that retains a level of transparency while also honoring the commitment the other person made. People can feel it. You know, you might not even have to use the perfect words, and don't worry about that. But I think one thing that we're all discovering now is like we can feel when people are telling the truth. Yeah. There's just an essence about their energy and their congruency that you can feel it, and you know.
0: Totally.
1: Yeah, it's great. What do you think about now? Was that considered like a business partnership, or
2: it was more like a project partnership?
1: Okay. What is your take? Because I know, you know, for your business, you've never had investors or anything like that in your, have you been approached for investors yes. or to like, have partners like this? And then what was your decision to stay, I guess, oh, like simple. bootstrapping, right? Or so or sovereign, yeah, sovereign really? like, I guess, <laughs> yeah. if, you yes. know, you're starting with your own money. It's bootstrapping, right? So to be your own self.
2: Absolutely. I, I, it's real easy for me. I'm a control freak. I don't want anyone to <laughs> You know, know, the part of the reason that I really couldn't be employed by anyone else is because I thought I knew how to do it better, or I didn't want anyone else telling me what I needed to do. That is honestly the bottom line. And we've had folks approach us to invest in the business, rapidly scale and grow the business, buy the business. I mean, I still get those emails probably, I don't know, two to three times a month, even now of folks who want to come in and either buy it or help us scale it. And I'm like, There ain't no way in hell that's happening. It's just really is that simple. You know, I learned a really important lesson way back in the day. I had written a book called make every man want you had to be so irresistible. You'll barely keep from dating yourself. This is like back uh, over 10 years ago. It's a great book. Thank you. And you know, it's got a sassy title and I don't think I would call it that now. I look back and of course I have what I call, I'm from Jersey all if any of y'all don't know me. There's a term that we used to have back in the day called douche chills. Douche chills are something that you feel when you're kind of embarrassed about yourself. Like, you know, like you see yourself on tape or you hear something that you said and you're like, was that really me? Oh my God, I'm embarrassed for myself. Or you see someone else and you're not making fun of them. You're just like, Ooh, can they just be quiet a little bit? Some people might be saying about me right now that could be happening and that's okay but I see that title and I get a little bit of that anyway I am proud of the book though because the content of it Douche is chills. Awesome.
1: That is so funny. it's amazing. It's,
2: <laughs> it is. It's just and it, I don't know where that phrase came from so please I don't want to see anyone on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and, oh, you think I, t- I don't want to hear it yeah lay it down just settle down and change the channel if you don't like it but this you guys know that embarrassed feeling that we all have every yes. once in a while about our own creations and when I was first writing that book, I remember I'm being so proud of it, did the very best I could. It was first an ebook, and then I redid it and we self-published and we sold like maybe eight or 9,000 copies with no major media and no ad spend because I didn't have the money. It was just all through kind of guerrilla Internet marketing. And once I decided that I wanted that book to reach a larger audience, I found myself a book agent and we sold it to McGraw-Hill. And I just remember my first meeting, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to change the subtitle. So the original (laughs) subtitle was make every man want you. And it was how to be so irresistible. You'll barely keep from dating yourself. And there was this whole bit I had about make every man want you or make yours want you more. That was it. Make yours want you more so that I could include because it is applicable to women who already had a significant other or had a husband or had a partner or whatever. And they're like, nope, we're taking that out. I'm like, excuse me? It's like, no, that's not your market. And my head just went to this. I was like, what? Wait, no, no, no. I just sold like 9,000 of these books without any help. And you're telling me who my market is? And then I had a lot of feelings about the cover design and the copy I wanted on the back. And they were fine. So this is not me disparaging McGraw-Hill. This was just my first experience having other people have ownership over my creative. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, so no. I'm, really grateful to them. The book is in like 16 languages. And again, God bless. I'm so happy that they took a chance on me. However, it was very illustrative of how much I can't stand other people telling me what to do. So that one experience, I was like, all right, so this is how this publishing world works. Got it. I was like, okay. And now y'all know probably why I haven't written a book. I was actually curious because like,
0: I thought I might've like sniffed the aroma of another book coming you, but
2: like i haven't seen it so i was just like what I, like what's I, happening
0: with that i, I don't believe
2: like, there was a yeah, mention of it yeah it is gonna happen it is happening and of course you know it's been years so now i'm definitely more mature and more experienced and also the publishing world has changed so that is on my list but i will tell you it was that one experience i'm like oh this is a pain in the ass like <laughs> at least with the internet What I can do is create whatever I want. And if I don't like it or if it doesn't seem to be working or, you know, just out of experience, we're like, wow, this really needs to shift. I get that kind of creative control. And especially from a branding perspective and a visual perspective and a coffee perspective, you know, I know who my people are. I know who I'm reaching. And I also know what I want to say. And when people start infringing on that upon me, it takes the fun out of it. So Mike, this is a very long winded answer to your question about why I have never said yes to taking outside money.
0: No, I, um. It's a great answer. Yeah, I love it yeah
2: well so has being a
0: control freak obviously like that is one of your superpowers I would say but <laughs> and so,
2: and it's an Achilles' that's heel. what I was going to say
0: so and often like <laughs> right our superpowers are so great and then they bite us in the ass sometimes so like what lessons have you learned only oh, I'm asking you this purely because I'm also a control freak so I'm just looking for a little personal wisdom here oh, yeah. <laughs> how has that ever bitten you in the ass and how have you learned to like not let it be your Achilles heel so often like how do you let sure go when you need to.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a great question. I think for many of us, especially, I see this a lot with my fellow women, yeah. my fellow 80s, and I not so ironically have a lot of women friends who we kind of joke because they'll come over my house and like if I'm having a bunch of folks over for dinner and we're doing a dinner party like some of my friends like they know how somewhat OCD I can be about like cleaning the kitchen before even a meal is done and you know making sure everything's really organized and like having to control things, like, oh the can no the candles need to go there. This needs to happen. So we joke. And now I have a lot more of a sense of humor about myself than I have before. But to answer your question, Kate. I really, it's a work in progress and I am certainly not perfect at it. I think it slows me down. I think that I'm constantly keeping an awareness around it and practicing letting go, practicing allowing other people to take over the things that perhaps are like some of my strengths and really experimenting and, you know, and letting people go on their own and then saying, you know what, it really doesn't matter where my time and focus and energy is best spent is over here. So mama needs to like, just keep her focus (laughs) and her mind. And her attention, it's almost like putting on little blinders and going la 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 la, <laughs> la 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 like that and just letting the chips fall where they may. And I will say this, age has definitely helped. You know, early twenties starting a business, total control freak. These days I am definitely more relaxed than I was before and not sweating the small stuff. And I do think that, that the beauty of that relaxedness does come with experience.
1: Just adding, I have a question regarding what you just said about how do you know now? So age has definitely helped with this when you're becoming a control freak. So when you feel yourself like probably, let's just say there's a line in the sand and you like cross that little line to be like, you know what, I'm being a little bit of a control freak here. Maybe I should ask Josh this question. (laughs) I'll bring Josh on and ask. (laughs) But like, so the next, like when you feel like you're about to cross that line or you do cross it, like what sensation happens in your, like what is the Signal that you notice in yourself
2: I would say a feeling of Frustration Tightening And a general sense that I have to manage the universe And I do not So anytime I start Going into that place of And you know this is interesting because I think there are different Areas of this where I need to operate differently In order to be my most Joyful and my most creative So for example you know I have to consciously shift out of boss mode with Josh. because oh. that is the most unattractive thing in the world. If, you know, if I want to send our relationship down the tubes fast, <laughs> I can back the way I do all day long. Like that is the recipe for having a really shitty relationship. And yes, I've done that a lot. So not being the boss and just saying, hey, whatever you want, honey. And that's not fake. That's just me kind of letting go of this drive, this energy, this particular part or aspect of myself that can be very useful at times. It's not useful all the time, but it can be very useful sometimes during the workday. So that's that aspect of it. Now, looking at it through the lens of our team, again, you know, there's places for me where folks may be asking me a question. And I can start to feel myself going, oh, I think the way it should be done is this. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to weigh in on this. Y'all got it. You're smart humans. You're committed. I can trust you. You want what's best for the company. You want what's best for our customers. Like y'all are smart. You take it. Whatever you decide, it's good with me. And so I've trained myself to say that a lot more often and really be discerning about where I need to get into the mix.
0: I love that. I had an experience today where it was so nice to fire off an email to a team member and be like, you decide. (laughs) (laughs) But that leads me to another question, which is you can only do that if you have people on your team who you really believe in and trust. So, and I know that that's a journey, you know, getting the right people on (laughs) the bus. Are there any strategies or specific tips or wisdom that you can share about getting, the right people on your bus and like how did you start cuz i met you a while ago and i think you only had like maybe one or two people on your team and now how many people do you work with with i i don't even really have yeah. to say but like more
2: we can oh. just say <laughs> um, no so. it's, it's totally fine like there are anywhere between 10 to 12 full-time employees and that's you know healthcare and 401k and you know all the benefits and then based on the kind of season of our company or you know what's happening or working on projects we kind of expand we'll have seasonal folks that come on for particular periods and then we can also balloon out and expand based on freelancers and also some satellite teams so that can go anywhere from you know kind of our 10 to 12 core all the way up to like 20 to 25 at times
0: And at first I would imagine you were the person hiring everybody. Are you the person hiring everybody now or have you brought somebody on to manage that for you?
2: Yeah, no, I generally am not doing the hiring these days, but I'm very, very involved in the process. But in the beginning, because I think that might be most useful, what really worked for me was being able to witness people's skills and work with them on a freelance basis at first and really see them in action and develop that rapport and that relationship and just have it happen over time. And with the key people that I still have on my team to this day, that's exactly how we did it. We found ways to work together that wasn't a full-time hire at first, where it was, a, you know, win-win for everyone. Again, freelance situations, part-time, come and do some consulting, let's do a project, those kind of things. So that, you know, Mike, to your point, it's kind of like dating. You know what I mean? You're not just going to go, say, hey, let's get married. Woo! We're like off to Vegas and, you know, we're going to live together and that's it. Especially in this day and age and especially if you have a virtual company where people are not coming to an office every day and they're responsible for producing results and you have to be able to develop rapport and trust, they have to have excellent communication skills, both verbal and written since so much communication is happening over email or Slack or text or with outside vendors in that respect. So I think finding a way to work with people on a project or a freelance basis is the best way to test each other out, to develop that trust, to see if they have the chops, to see if they have the alignment of values and to see if they're really going to be in it for the long term.
0: Wonderful, wonderful advice. But I have a, a follow-up <laughs> question, which is, oh, you have one, honey? No, go ahead.
1: It's well, funny. I wish we had a video for your face right now. I'm just <laughs>
0: taking, no, I'm taking it. Well, it's I, the face. Well, I want to hear about the face. It's my listening <laughs> face. It's like my chewing on stuff face. Because I just really have people on our podcast who I just want to ask them questions for myself. And then I figure <laughs> <laughs> if anyone else finds it valuable, that's just a bonus. <laughs> So no, but this one, actually, I've been getting a question from a lot of people lately and I have my answer, but I'm curious what your answer is. So I'm running this thing called the do less experiment right now.
1: Hold on. This is oh. a sponsorship. This podcast is brought to you by the do less brought to you by Kate Northrup. It's 14 days and you can join it at any time
0: and it's free. So there we go. Um, that's, good. that's our sponsorship. Uh,
1: that's how we do sponsorships on the Kate and Mike I show. I love it. I
0: love it. So right now, you know, one of the things I talk about is outsourcing and delegation and that while we can do anything, we cannot do everything. And so people have been asking, well, yeah, but I'm brand new in business and I'm still not really making much money. So how can I possibly outsource anything when I'm not really bringing in enough as it is? So I'm just curious when you got started, I know you were thousands of dollars worth of debt and you were bartending on the side and you had some side hustles to keep things going. How did you make that leap to bring your first person on and and was it scary and how'd you make the decision and how'd you do it?
2: It was terrifying and I was a horrible, horrible boss. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like terrified to assign anyone something. I felt guilty about it. I was like, oh, I should be doing this. It was like I was the worst, like literally the worst. Now, the reason I decided to hire someone was because at that time between my coaching practice, I had published my ebook. I was also bartending, waiting tables, teaching fitness and starting to get into dance. And I just couldn't do the customer service bit anymore. Like the emails were starting to get to the point where I couldn't schedule appointments and take care of folks who had you know trouble downloading their ebook or whatever it was and still get everything done. And I remember at that time, VA's virtual assistants, you know, they were pretty newfangled kind of thing there in those early 2000s. That was like, you know, very hot, hot at the moment. It was very brand new. So I had found myself a VA and you know, I hired her and I just honestly used my bartending money. I used, I portioned it out. You know, I budgeted it out and I could only afford her for a few hours a week. And again, I was a horrible boss. I was just, I was terrified. I was not good, but then I got better. And I think you just need to learn by fire. Sometimes you need to throw yourself into it, be compassionate with yourself and know that your first time doing anything, most of us aren't that great, right? We're like, Pretty horrible We're pretty not good. However, our second time doing something or as we get used to it, we start to get better and better and better. So the faster that you can dive in, even if it's just an hour or two a week where you're hiring even a task rabbit, if anyone's familiar with yeah. that company, or you know someone to come in to just work with you where you can practice delegating, where you can practice describing a particular thing that you need done being clear and specific about it, having them do it and then being able to give clear and specific feedback and also having the courage to let people go if they're not doing a great job. I think the faster you can get started with it on a small scale, the more you develop confidence and momentum and you can just take it from there. But to look for a particular formula or to go, when is the right time? You know, that is as Kate, as we've talked about another kind of almost a version of a creative cul-de-sac, you will drive yourself crazy trying to figure out how to do it. Right. And what you really need to do is just get it going.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of your quotes that I quote you all the time is the clarity comes through engagement, not thought, you know, yes. I have to remind myself of that a million times a day. It's yes. just like, okay, get out of your mind. <laughs> just <do laughs> Keep removing
2: Yeah. And I will say this, you know, here's another thing that is really important for folks to remember. 99% of us start off that exact same way, like not having enough money. Many of us start off in debt. I know when I was starting my business, there was a lot of eating of the macaroni and cheese, a lot of eating of the ramen, a lot of eating of the peanut (laughs) butter and jelly. And I was fine with that. I even threw in some SpaghettiOs because that's how I was. I was like, give me some of those SpaghettiOs, (laughs) y'all. But have you had like,
1: Spaghettios in a while?
2: Not in a very long time. Yeah, Gosh, they're gross. Dude, like so gross. <laughs> I, feel, I know. I know that you have to get like you have to do just, what you got to do. It's, I was just
1: random, quite random <laughs> thought on yeah. food. Yeah,
2: it's been many years since I've had yeah. my little can of Spaghettios. But my point is. Many of us have done this. So if you find yourself in this position now, rather than say, well, I don't have the resources that they have, or why does everyone else have it easier than me, those are completely shitty questions to ask. They're disempowering questions to ask. And you're going to get crappy answers that just send you further down the spiral. A more empowering question or framework to start asking is how can I make this work for me? How can I get started right now? How can I use my creativity, my resourcefulness, my ingenuity to get started this moment? And when you ask yourself better questions, you get better answers. And when you get better answers, you feel better. You take stronger, smarter actions and you develop smarter, better habits.
0: I'm oh, Matt I
1: like it. I have a question regarding business structure. Now this might, this probably doesn't, this applies more to, Myself. So <laughs> I'm asking for advice. This yeah. is good. Yeah. So would you say that you're, I mean, it's Marie Forleo International, right? Is that the name of your company? That's the name of your company. Right. Yes. Yeah. So are you the, because now we have a team members and you've grown, right? So yes. are you making, well, you've already said you're not making all the day to day decisions, but like what's your role in your company now?
2: Really, for me, well, technically, so I'm the CEO but I am responsible for setting the vision of the company in conjunction with my team, setting our priorities and really the creative force behind it. When I say creative force, I am not the only creative force. I have a creative director and honestly, everyone on my team, these are some creative folks. Like they just bring the ideas and they bring all their gifts. So I am by no means saying that they are just executing my vision, but because I am the leader of the company, and because so much of our success is connected to what I am passionate about or what I'm learning or what I'd like to teach, that's my job is to say, hey, guys, this is where we're going next. This is really cool. This is something I'm jazzed about. This is something that I see and hear and taking in from our audience and our customers that they really need next. So I'm kind of setting those broad stroke pictures and broad stroke direction. And I'm also executing on the content. You know, I write and produce Marie TV. So that's like, you know, deciding the questions and not that I don't have help, but like all of Marie TV that's comes out of my heart and my soul (laughs) and the actual product creation and writing emails and also still writing like 98 to 99% of our copy, the words and the messaging that you see coming out of our company, that's me. And that takes a lot of time. <laughs> yeah,
1: <it> does. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes, it does. It, Yeah, when I see Kate Wright, it takes a lot of time. It's
0: so it really
2: fast.
1: Does. She's so fast though, it's crazy.
0: No, it does, but to do it well, <laughs> to which do it you well, obviously takes time. have, like it it just it does take time. Did you have a follow up question, honey? Or?
1: No, I just oh. it was an interest because 'cause we're leaning
0: in, so I just Well I'm sure. just,
1: I'm leaning closer to the mic our chairs are we need to like I don't anyway. But bringing more people on that I've noticed with our company over the last couple of years, I notice people have... Just, and this might be relevant to some folks that have a few employees. Maybe it's only one or two freelancers or so that work with you. I noticed that people will start as a freelancer and they'll just do what you tell them to do. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of the last month, month and a half, I've really started to engage. Like in December, I spent a lot of time with people that we're working with, like all of our freelancers that work with us, and got on Skype with them for 30 minutes to an hour, each one of them, and just asked them, you know, their goals and their futures and what they really like about working with us and et cetera. And I started to notice when we then I just up it's almost like i up leveled the expectation that i expect from them i don't know if that makes yeah, any sense yeah. but it's like i just like this is what i want from you it's way above what they're giving me now but their response from that has actually been phenomenal and where i think it's like oh man they're gonna get scared or freaked like i think Team members and people in general, like they want to provide and they want to help out and they want to show and they all have great ideas. And I think just from an engagement standpoint, we've seen the same thing like you're describing here. And I even with one or two of our folks have just really kind of stepped up. It's pretty amazing.
2: Oh, yeah. And I think about it's really human. All of us want to grow and all of us want to contribute. And when we start to feel stagnant someplace, when we feel like we're not growing, that we're not learning, that we're not able to contribute more, that's when people get bored, disengaged, and likely quit and look for a new opportunity. So I yeah. think what you guys are doing is absolutely brilliant. And just to share a bit of what happens on our team, when I think about all the folks that we work with now, and you know, most people have been with us for years at this point. They've all grown tremendously in terms of their roles and responsibilities and projects they're taking on in what they've taught themselves and, you know, where they're going and the ideas that they bring to the table and the proposals. And, you know, we're all training ourselves. It's like, okay, here's what I want to do. It's not like necessarily asking for permission, but here's how I thought it through. Here's the great parts. Here's where it could be some liabilities. Here's my action plan of what I would do as next steps. What do we think? And for me as a CEO to get those kind of things proposed to me, it's a dream. It is an absolute dream. So I think Mike, that was such a brilliant move that you did. And I think it's a really smart strategy for anyone listening to take on themselves.
0: Yeah, and for yourself as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that we can have those conversations (laughs) internally and call ourselves to a higher level. For somebody listening who maybe, you know, is... We have a lot of... I I recently did a survey of our audience and found (laughs) that we have a lot of people who want to start businesses but have not yet. And so, like, maybe they have an idea. It's maybe just like a little tiny sprout. And they know, you know, they want to grow an online business. Or maybe they don't even know online, but... Where in this day and age, in early 2017, like, where do you think people should start if they're just like, I want to start a business,
2: but I don't, I'm, uh," you
0: know, there's a lot of different things. If you were to start this year right now, what would you do?
2: Well, I think there's a couple of different ways to look at it. And there's two lenses that we should look through. One, so in my particular example, for me, when I discovered, again, this is the late nineties, early two thousands, that there was actually a profession called life coaching, meaning you could make an entire living and a business around helping other people have an extraordinary life, I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, (laughs) I can't, this is awesome. You know, I was a cheerleader in high school. My first major in college was actually psychology because I have always been fascinated to understand what really makes us humans tick. What is the difference between people who seem to thrive and excel often in the face of the most extraordinarily harsh and difficult circumstances? How do those people do it versus other folks who sometimes have all the advantages in the world and that they keep seeming to struggle and stumble and fall. Like what makes the difference here? What makes people genuinely happy and fulfilled and what just kind of takes us down? So that's always been something since I was little that I've been fascinated with. And I remember when I discovered life coaching, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I was all of 23 and the logical part of my brain said, you're friggin' nuts. Who's going to hire a 23 year old life coach? This is stupid and crazy. And then my soul, my heart was lighting up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) And I knew I had to just pursue this, not knowing that it would become my life's work, just knowing that it was going to be the next step. So for me, my desire of like, how am I going to start a business really was aligned with finding this calling that I had to find a way to express. So that's, that was my particular path. And I think for many of us, that can be, you feel called to make a difference or you have a particular set of skills or strengths or gifts, and you want to share them with others. But another lens to look through that can be extremely useful is to start to look through the lens of who are the people in the world that you most want to help? And how do you want to help? them. So is there a group of people that you deeply care about? Is there a problem in the world? Is there an issue in the world that you relate to and you know that other people relate to too and that there's an opportunity to provide a solution for a particular problem and there's a market of people that you can serve? Rather than trying to come up with some kind of rando idea like I think this can make money or like looking at a particular field like, wow, I hear real estate people are really successful. That to me lacks the depth of the soul connection that you need, that's really going to make an extraordinary business. So again, it's either connecting it to your strengths or your skills and finding a way to share that with the world or starting to think through, is there a particular problem or a market that you're passionate about in terms of a problem you're passionate about solving for a particular group of people that your heart is connected to?
0: Well, yeah, because if you approach it from those perspectives, that's going to be kind of this self-regenerating energy where you won't then have to find motivation. Yes. So I love, I love that answer, Marie. I hope listeners are taking that to heart. It's really an an important piece here. And then, so let's say you're down the line here and, and you've been at the internet business thing for a bit now. I met you, I don't know, I think we met... I don't know. It was a while ago now. (laughs) (laughs) Close to 10 years ago, maybe eight. I don't know. And B-School was first, like first kind of an an idea back then, which is so cool. But you see, you know, you've, you've served hundreds of thousands of millions of people, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making out there as they're growing their online businesses? Like some of them might be giving you the douche chills. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious, like what should we watch out for as we're growing and putting ourselves out there?
2: I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make, especially when it comes to having an online business, is sometimes they say to themselves, well, I'm just going to start this online business over here to make money and then do the thing that I really want to do. And I'm like, oh, honey, please do not do that because I feel, and this is my particular belief, my viewpoint, that if you're going to start any business, you need to be all in. Even if you can't be all in, meaning you can't be full time right now, I just mean in any nook and cranny of your free time, you should build a business that you really care about, not a business that's a means to an end. That doesn't mean that you're going to have to stay with that business for life, but whatever you get into, get into it because you really want to see that business succeed, not because you think it's going to be some kind of money generator, because here's what often happens. First of all, people that aren't connected, like really deeply connected, Even if they do start to make a little bit of money, which is rare, it's not long term. They get miserable fast. They start feeling empty. They start taking crappy care of their customers. Just things start to fall apart. So I would always recommend, you know, don't try and start an online business just to make money so that you can do the thing you really want to do. Have a day job or have several day jobs and just get to the thing that you really want to (laughs) do. Like just cut out the middleman. The second thing in terms of mistakes, I think people often expect too much too soon. I think they want overnight success, and that rarely happens. There is a bit of a danger in our culture of instant gratification, and sometimes you'll see on social media, and people will say things like, "Look, I made you know seven hundred thousand dollars in two hours with this one <laughs> webinar, and let me show you my webinar tricks." And you're like, "Just shut the f up!" You know that that's not real. <laughs> you either are leveraging skills and leveraging strengths that you've built over time because you were like, you know, a co salesman person of the year, you know what I mean? You've got incredible closing skills, but don't let's not pretend. So I think people expecting too much success too fast is a big mistake. I was just reading an email from a b-schooler, this is actually just 2 weeks ago. So this particular b-schooler, she took the program like 3 years ago. And she wrote to us and she was basically saying, I started your program with no list. I had no idea what I was going to do. I had just nothing like blank slate. And she went through B-School and she was about a year and a half in, still not making anything happen. And she was actually about to quit. She was about to give up on herself, but she reached out to the community. Everybody rallied around her, kind of helped her to see what was going right, what was going wrong. And now it's like three years later, she wrote me this email. She had her first $60,000 month and it has completely changed her life.
0: Wow. Now, can you
2: imagine if she would have given up just like, it ain't happening too fast. This is dumb. It's not work, you know, whatever, or like, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not smart enough. All these things, this ain't happening. I can't predict how long it will take for people. And obviously that's, you know, I'm sure you guys can either, unless you got some crystal ball you want to let me know about, but My point is this, people expect way too much, way too soon. If you want to build a business that matters, you've got to be in it for the long haul. You've got to be willing to have patience and develop trust, which takes time. You've got to be able to develop your skills and your ability to connect with people. You've got to be willing to experiment and have things fail and have a few things that'll hit. But rarely does that happen in some, you know, tiny little time frame. So that's the second mistake. And I I don't want to keep going on a monologue. I don't know if you guys have anything to share about that, those kind of over expectations of how quickly it should happen.
0: I think that is so true. And I'm so glad you shared that particular B-Schooler story because we see that, you know, with our own people and clients and with our own folks who've gone through B-School with us as well. Just kind of the like, it's, you know, I've been at this three months and like, Nothing's happening. It's not happening. And it's like, well, you know, it's like I started in 2010, so I haven't been at it as long as you, but that's when my first site came up and it's like, okay, seven years later, like things are cooking, but it it took a while there. And I, you know, I've talked to some people who are like putting together their first offering and it's like, you know, crickets. And I'm like, well, you know, that's kind of part of the deal. The number of things I've put out there that have had no signups, you
2: just kind of keep going and it sucks, but you just keep going. Try something else. So let me ask you this. I actually want to turn this around now, Kate. Yeah. Tell me this, right? So you said 2010 was kind of when you were first getting in there. And there was a lot of times where it was crickets or there wasn't much happening. Now, looking back seven years in, would you Ever give up what you have now? And oh. Like, can you just describe a little bit how different your life is now because of the fact that you had persistence and tenacity?
0: I mean, I just, you know, to be honest, it makes me a little teary. I uh, just our you know, our current reality, you know, and our listeners also know Mike and I get to choose what we do with our time and choose how much time we get to spend with our baby girl, Penelope, 16 months old, who's hysterical, a little badass, whose favorite word is no. Everyone tells her who helps us take care of her that she's an early no girl. (laughs) She's earlier than the other toddlers with her no. And so it's just amazing, like... How much freedom we have and how many choices we have. And, you know, the other couple of weeks ago when Aleppo was in the news so much, I was and obviously things are still, you know, really bad in many places in the world. And of course, it gets the news has this nature of, you know, what's hot right now. And then we kind of forget about the things that were on the news yesterday. but. Things are still happening. And, you know, we were able to take a little time aside and put together some mama love circles to adopt orphans over there and to take care of these girls who are on the streets otherwise because they've lost their parents. And doing things like that and knowing that, like, our business isn't going to suffer because I'm taking aside a few hours to put together a group of women who's going to take care of these girls across the world is... I mean I love making money. I really do. I have to say it's like a huge I love it and it's because it allows me to do things like A maybe go to lunch and then B maybe take care of some little girls across the world. So no, I wouldn't give any of those 7 years up. You know, I wouldn't want to have had somebody come in and tell me, okay, just do X, Y, Z. And you could take those seven years and put it into six months because I wouldn't have the proper wisdom and experience to run what we run with vision and with heart and with soul. It would be sort of a shell version
2: Exactly. And I think in today's day and age, people have to have a lot more patience with themselves and really have to be in it for the long haul, which is why I went back to the first point. It's like you have to, you know, never start a business just to make money, start a business to make a difference. And when you come from that foundation, what you can build is extraordinary.
0: It absolutely is. And I know that that's a huge piece of what you do, Marie, with your programs. And can you talk a little bit about like what for you is one of your biggest commitments right now in terms of being a change-making entrepreneur? Like, what are you most connected to in the world as one of the causes or solutions that you're working on?
2: You know, we... Contribute to many different things from pencils of promise and building schools and helping people become educated. We are involved with a group that's incredible called the Sama Group, which is helping lift people out of poverty through the use of dignified work. That's both in the developing world and here in the United States. Charity water with getting clean water to the almost one billion people that do not have access to it. Most of which are women and girls who are responsible for getting that dirty water and not being able to go get educated. But I think for me, the most important thing that we're doing is continuing to use our platform to activate others. So, you know, we did things with the Compassion Collective. That's myself and Glennon and Brene and Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed and Rob Bell with Aleppo just a few weeks ago to tag off of what you just said. But I think it makes me most excited that we're able to Share opportunities using our platform, using social media and our email list to get people involved in making a difference, whatever the particular cause of the moment may be, to be able to mobilize others to take meaningful action, whether that might be a donation or it might actually be a social share or it might be, you know, adding their voice or spreading the word to others. That for me is honestly, Kate, the most exciting piece of it because when you have a collective of people who really do want to to make the world a better place, and you're able to share an actionable idea that mobilizes others and gets them out there doing it, I feel like it puts the power back in the everyday person's hands. And so no matter what is happening in the world politically, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you feel like you can actually do something to move the needle ahead. You don't have to wait for legislation. You don't have to wait for another election. You don't have to wait for anything. You can actually use the power of your voice and your resources to help make the world the world that we want to live in.
0: Love that. Hmm. I love that. It's great. Yeah. So, Han, I know you had a question that you wanted to end with. It's a great Mike Watts wacky question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked anybody this it. yet. When I came up with this question, Kate was like, we can't ask people that. And I was like, yeah, I think we can. So you're the first one. But so this came from basically, what do you want your funeral to be like?
2: A friggin' party. I have this very clear in my mind. I want a lot of dancing. There needs to be a blend of both like ridiculous dance music like hip hop and R&B and reggae and then I also need to take it back to the classics like I need to go back to my jazz and to some of my crooners like I need some Frank Sinatra I need some Ella Fitzgerald there needs to be incredible food like without a doubt like some of the Italian classics and depending on where we are in the world at that time I don't know if people are going to be eating some dairy free and gluten free and vegan but we'll, you know, we'll have really tasty versions of, you know, whatever is of the moment that's helping people to be as healthy as possible. But I definitely want my funeral to be a freaking celebration. I actually have that written in my will and I have money set aside for it.
1: That's I'm amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I've told I've told all the people like the everyone around right now like look, if it happens earlier than we expect, Listen, know that mama is on a good train and you need to celebrate the life. You need to yeah. celebrate her and eat all the food and drink all the wine and do all the dancing and the laughing because that's what I want.
1: I love that. So By beautiful. that time we'll be food free though. Like we're just not eating food uh, period.
2: No, that maybe. would be so
0: sad. I know it would be sad.
1: <laughs> I love food.
0: I'm not interested in a food free life.
1: And what is your like top three hip hop songs that you would like played at your funeral?
2: Oh goodness! Well, I will tell you the one. I'm just gonna say the one of the moment right now. Okay. I cannot commit to an all-time one because we just don't know. But let's say we were having a pretend funeral right now. I would want Rihanna. We gotta work, 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 work. work. <laughs> that I would literally want people like going down the aisle and then mm, and then like a little bit of Drake and like seriously, I would essentially be in heaven, like smiling down and doing my moves with everybody. Like that would All make right. me so happy.
0: Rihanna was yes, good, so good, Yeah. so good. Well, Marie, this has been such a pleasure. I love you so much.
2: Oh, I love you guys. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And for those listening, you know, I do want you to know about Marie's program, B School, and the free video series that's available right now that will get you an introduction into many of the topics we've talked about today, which is how to get your business online and what are the key factors to look for and how to be a big hearted creative who's compassionate and wants to change the world, just like Marie, (laughs) right? So you can grab that over at katenorthrup.com forward
2: slash bschool. Any final words, Marie, anything you want to leave folks with? Just to remember that you are on this planet for a reason. It's something that we say with TV that the world really does need that special gift that only you have. So don't forget it. Don't listen to the voices in your head that say that you're not good enough or that you're not worthy or that you don't have anything special to share. You absolutely do. You have genius coded inside of you. And no matter what form it takes, whether it's a small business or a job or several jobs or however you choose to express it, please do because the world really does need you. Thank, Thank you, you so
1: much. And then where else can people find Marie Forleo? Are you on?
2: Oh, my goodness. I'm on the interwebs. <laughs> I am at MarieForleo.com. We have over, I believe, 300 episodes of Marie TV. So if you have enjoyed this and you haven't gotten douche chills and you actually like my energy, I think you will completely love Marie TV. So there's interviews and there's just kind of Q&A Tuesdays, which are kind of shorter questions and answers. And then, of course, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Marie Forleo.
1: Love that. Thank you so much. And all the links for everything Marie will be on katenorthrup.com forward slash podcast, guys.
0: All right. Love you, lady. Thank you. Love
2: you. Bye, right. everyone. Thanks for listening.
0: Ever feel like you're constantly doing things but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you? Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrop.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.